0: Hi, I'm Alan Bresnick, Cable Video Practice Leader of Light Reading. We're going to be talking today about Next Gen PON. My guest is Richard Romness. Richard is Vice President of Network Sales and Solutions for Harmonic. Richard, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Hey, good morning, guys. Okay, Richard. So let's get into our questions today. First question is: What is the future of EPON versus XGS PON? Is one better than the other? You know, I, I get asked that
1: question a lot when uh, talking. To our customers, yeah, it's, um, you know there are advantages of both. Uh, EPON has the advantage of being tested by cable labs before. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're running the latest EPON stack, then you're likely to interoperate with anyone's EPON stack, and it makes things a lot easier. The advantages of XGS is that um, from a sheer volume perspective, XGS is becoming the dominant technology in terms of CPE or fiber. Right. Uh, so technically speaking, you do have uh, a better selection when it comes to uh, you know, shipments, volumes, availability with XGS. Uh, both will be around for a while. And oddly enough, both are based upon the same chipset for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think more vendors choose to go the XGS route based upon the numbers they see from the analyst in terms of availability, the TAM, right? So
0: xgs fund seems to be taking over the market right now.
1: It is, a, you know, but but EPON will be around for a long time. You know, the bigger mm-hmm. uh, cable operators in North America are committed currently to EPON, uh, and they don't seem to be having any indication, at least from my perspective, that they're moving away from that. So the the availability will be around. The number of vendors probably will be smaller, but there is, you know, the the ugly truth to XGS is that. While EPON does have a very good interoperability record, XGS has a pretty poor interoperability record. Right, so mm-hmm. in uh, the the history to date, is most OLT vendors have their own ONU, and even though there are some standards of bodies out there, uh, you know, the Broadband Forum has a testing methodology, it's still kind of a crapshoot. Um, even though there is a standard method of testing, a lot of times individual service provisioning on ONUs are not. Interoperable. You have to do some work on the OLT side. And a lot of OLT vendors actually charge you to integrate someone else's ONU with them. And we don't do that at
0: Harmonic. Okay, Richard. So given that, do operators have to overbuild their networks to develop fiber and be more competitive? You know, I I do hear that question a
1: lot as well. If there's some interesting economics in this RDOF world that we live in, with all this money flowing into the communities to build internet to homes. You have a lot of these players out there that take that money, uh, but they still have to make a profit. So they do this by, oh, they build fiber in all of the areas around an existing DOCSIS provider, let's say, but in order to make it worthwhile, because the, and let's face it, right, the um, the densities are very low in these environments. So while they're swinging fiber into these low density areas, they will kind of drop in fibers into metropolitan I have a friend of mine that called the donut holes, right? They'll go into the yeah. centers of these metropolitan areas and they'll try to make sure they get a high concentration, at least one or two points. So that does dig in to the existing cable operators' profits. It's not all or nothing or just all around them. In some cases, I've seen cable operators be surrounded by a fiber competitor, in Great. which case it starves them from expanding. So um, when I talk to operators about how to compete In that particular environment, you do have the option of completely overbuilding yourself, uh, and that's very expensive. I think we're all familiar with the, you know, fiber feet per mile, fiber feet cost, right, and the cost of splicing, the availability of components, and all that sort of stuff. With, but the the interesting thing about cable operators, though, is that they're actually a fairly fiber rich environment, but they're only fiber rich, to the nodes. Right. So if there's some way to uh, utilize that fiber going to their nodes and then only build out fiber where they actually need it, that is the point going from the node to the customers, then you, your time to market is dramatically decreased. Uh, we we, pre- we prefer to that as precision pond or fiber on demand. You use the exact same system you already have in place for your existing HFC network, even down to the provisioning, and you only build out fiber actually where you need it. And there's a, I think we, there's an interesting Commentary on that is that most of those services, when when customers are stolen from the incumbent, a lot of times the customers are drawn to that new service by a billboard rate, right? They advertise a one gig rate. Right. People are drawn to that. It's only maybe $10, $20 more than they're paying. Uh, but a lot of times, if you have an HFC network already and you're using this precision pond methodology, you can advertise that rate now. Because your build times are so much smaller that you can advertise it now, deploy in a matter of months as opposed to a year or two.
0: Okay.
1: And I, you know, one other comment I want to make too for an HFT sure. operator if you have DOCS 3.1 today already, you can achieve near pond speeds today as well. And that requires no fiber overbuild, just some components in the network.
0: I think a lot of operators are looking at this right now.
1: Oh, absolutely, um, and and you don't. And the other thing too, as I mentioned, DOCSIS 3.1. I did not
0: say DOCSIS four zero. Okay, all right. You touched on this a little bit, Richard. What exactly is a Harmonix Open ONU strategy? So you know, we know that we
1: are fairly new to the business. Um, we we would like to add a value over and above just the basic PON technology, and we thought that having a more open architecture is a value for our customers. For instance, in a lot of the equipment that we have as part of our overall pond solution. We use general off-the-shelf servers, we use off-the-shelf switches, and we wanted to kind of apply that same strategy to ONU. So uh, much as you can potentially pick your own Ethernet switch that you want to use as part of the DAS or SYN network, um, we allow you to, not allow you to, that seems a little overbearing, but we offer the opportunity for people to bring in their own ONU. And we have a significant number of ONUs that we already support today. Uh, We will typically go into a customer and recommend the ONU that's best fit for your particular strategy um, and cost. And I think it's helped on a number of things, not only for the vendor community to accelerate uh, and potentially even bring in products to different markets, such as uh, one of our partners in, in Europe has decided to bring in and certify their products for North America it's a hmm. it's a, it's a it's an advantage of our solution in that we can give these additional vendor partners of ours an opportunity to get to market in North America and i think they welcome that
0: and of course in the long run it all benefits the customer so great flexibility here yep yep okay richard here's another question for you from an operator if an operator has gpon today should they move to 10G XGS pawn or should they wait for 25G or even 50G PON to come along? Uh, it's a good question. It's a valid one, right? What the, the thing that you want to avoid is regrettable spend,
1: right? So you right. don't want to continually spend on all the different rungs in the ladder. Um, mm-hmm. The reality is that pawn's pond, limitation, I don't think really is, isn't necessarily the speed. It's more the the number of customers you can have on a PON. And that's limited to physics, right? It's when you build your ODN, the optical distribution network, you know that you can only pass 32, 64, 128, whatever the number is. (laughs) Um, So if your GPON network today has sufficient bandwidth to support that limited number, then there's some lifespan left in it. Uh, The migration to 10 gig versus 25 gig or 50 gig is really based upon the price for a residential network, right? It's really based upon the price of the CPE equipment. And mm-hmm. in the case of 50 gig and, uh, you know, well, at least 50 gig Jeep on, you're looking at prices in excess of $1,500 out into 2025, 2026. So this is right data from Omdia that I'm, you know, of course I trust. <laughs> And uh, I think those numbers will prohibit people from deploying fifty gig or twenty-five gig. Even twenty-five gig is still over eight hundred dollars by twenty twenty six. A lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money for residential deployments compared to you know what I'm seeing now in the industry is sub sixty dollars for a ten gig ONU for a bridge ONU.
0: Okay, Richard, one more question that we've been getting about from operators about being overbuilt by pure fiber operators. How does a hybrid Doxus Pond solution enable an operator to compete more effectively with fiber providers?
1: So that's uh, you know digging a little bit deeper into my earlier comments, but um, sure. in the case of that donut hole scenario or not whatnot. So if you have a doxus network today, we right. we know that you have fiber to all those nodes, whether it's an analog fiber or whether it's a digital fiber, it's glass, mm-hmm. it's in the ground, and it you you can use that to your advantage. So when you convert from an analog distribution to a digital IP distribution, you're now putting ethernet slash IP out to where your nodes are. So if your nodes pass, let's say 250 subs, now you've literally got what's the equivalent of a presence of an ethernet switch out into your node base, right? Because IP is now all the way out to the node. Mm -hmm. So with a harmonic node in your field, um, and you can replace a, a node in days as opposed to weeks. There's no additional build. There's no fiber being pulled. There's no new coax. There's no right. new power. Right. So it's really simple. Uh, remove and replace operation for a node with one of our nodes. Replace the analog node. And now in that same node enclosure and even in the same RPD, I can put a uh, remote OLT device in the available SFP port. Now I have Doxis 3.1 speeds with near pawn speeds with higher splits to compete against the billboard rates of your overbuilders. While also right. well, but also at the same time, you can say, hey, for the customers that really want the higher speeds, then I can have pawn to you in weeks, months, not years. So time to market is dramatically improved improved, right? So uh, compete, and, and again, it goes back to competing against those billboard rates. If you can compete against the billboard rates quickly and effectively, then the number of customers you'll will lose will be dramatically reduced. And the, the nice thing about having the the products in the head end that we use, right? We use generic CPUs to run all of our uh, virtualized CMTS and PON. It's all on the same platform, by the way. You don't need a new platform for Doxis or PON when going from DOCSIS to PON. It's all on the same, same infrastructure. And it, it, what we've seen from a lot of customers is that they will create service packages that match their DOCSIS packages. Now that they have three 3.1 and a higher split, they can offer multi-gigabit rates on their same infrastructure. And they offer those same rates both on DOCSIS and PON. So it looks like to the world that they've got fiber everywhere. So they're fiber right. feeds, even though they're coax
0: based. So we're going to increasingly end up with these sort of mix-and-match networks, part DOCSIS, part CON, uh, depending on where where you are oh, in the network? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, there, one thing I haven't talked about is that these uh, cable operators, the reason why cable has the lion's share of all of the Internet access for uh, the, the U.S. and then worldwide is because the speeds were good, right? They didn't... Right. The government didn't need to throw in a whole bunch of money to the cable operators to improve their networks because they were already good. Right. So a lot of these cable operators, they don't get any money from the uh, the RDO funds or whatnot unless they go into new greenfield areas, in which case that they're throwing their money at new greenfield, but their existing infrastructure is not being improved by this new funding. So they, they have to be able to do both in order to survive or else, as I mentioned earlier, all their, you know, the juicy donut holes will be gone to their overbuilder competitors, right? So you you have to provide some sort of economical method, which is not overbuilding yourself with fiber. So utilizing existing coax, upgrading portions. So just being very concise on where you spend your capital uh, is going to be the best route for the cable operators for the near future. And probably for years to come until, you know, in, until the, you um, backlog of fiber construction is done, which is going to take a lot of time, and some of the prices start to come down.
0: So you don't expect to see all operators do full-scale overbuilding uh, their networks right now, like Altice is doing in the Northeast U.S.? I mean, I would
1: encourage you to to look at the financials for those that say that, because I think saying it is one thing, but the actual implementation is usually a little different. It's The reality Mm -hmm. of capital spend, right? You you still have to be profitable. (laughs) It's hard to do when you're overbuilding yourself completely. Uh, I I have seen small operators um, with, you know, maybe a thousand homes passed, a couple thousand homes passed, or whatnot. They have a crew in place already. Mm -hmm. They look at it as it's a long-term investment. Then you know, great, overbuild yourself with fiber because it's not that big of a, a hit for you. Right. But i don't know of too many of these smaller operators that have an excess of staff so that's and actually we have one of our customers that um, we just just purchased our doxus and pond solution and one of the comments that they made was that gee we'd really like to do a press release with you guys because we want people to know we want technical expertise in the field to know that we are running with this next gen technology technology that we want we, we think these technology savvy individuals want to get their hands on right. and they're having a hard time getting those people to join because they think, oh, you're a cable operator. So I got to use, I got to learn RF and whatnot. And that's old technology. That's not the case at all anymore.
0: Great, Richard. Thank you for your time today. This has been really interesting. Uh, more than happy to be here. Look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Take care.